Welcome to episode number 30 of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we're joined by Michael Fisher, the founder of Codify Baseball. You can find him on Twitter at Codify Baseball. Does some really interesting things in the Major League Baseball world. Works with a bunch of Major League pitchers, strategizing and stuff. We dive into that, his career, and some other things around the game. Super interesting conversation that you're going to want to keep track of. We have our three Mariners storylines. We'll each pick our favorite minor leaguer of the week down on the farm. We're back with the MOB wraparound. No voicemails this week, so we go national instead with our storylines. Another Russell Wilson umpire of the week, and we close out the show with Speak Your Mind. Before we get into today's show, just a reminder, we've partnered with In The Clutch Clothing. In The Clutch Clothing Company is an official partner of the Marine Layer Podcast, in the Clutch is the ultimate fan site for Seattle baseball merchandise, including the Celebration Trident, official MLBPA shirts for J-Rod, Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, and Los Bomberos. Guys, just a heads up, I got my shirt in the mail. Here, I'll, I'll kind of sit up here if you're watching on YouTube, which, by the way, is just another reminder to watch us on YouTube. I've got my shirt. It says Straight Kellen It, Jared Kelnick. You know I had to get my Jared Kelnick shirt. It's awesome. You're going to see me wearing it around the ballpark when we're at games this year. The In The Clutch Clothing guys did an awesome job with it, and I can't wait to start wearing it around. I was excited to get it in the mail. So if you want to do the same, you can use the code MarineLayerPod at InTheClutch.com for 10% off, and currently, every shirt on their website ships within the U.S. for free. Sounds like a pretty good deal, guys. And just a reminder, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, make sure to give us a follow, leave us a review, five stars, we hope. You can find us on YouTube as well. If you're listening audio, go look at our YouTube, subscribe, uh, and turn on the notification bell so you know when we post. You can also find us on all of our social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Marine Layer Pod. All right, let's get it rolling. And we welcome you onto this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast recording here on Monday, May 22nd. Lyle, I'm, I know I know you like spending times at ballparks, and I think, again, it happened this weekend. Instead of doing something else, you were on a baseball diamond. I did balance it this week, I will say. I used my other time away from the diamond to see a bunch of friends, catch up with some people. I mean, I, I work-life balance here. We've talked about that here on the podcast. And and I think I did a decent job of that this week because I saw a handful of friends over the last week, which is obviously great. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm just throwing my other friends aside or anything because they have schedules too. But yeah, I got to see them this week. But baseball-wise, we went out to Everett this week, which was, which was pretty awesome. And we did some more player content if you want to go check that out on social media because it was a blast. So not I, I I'm just tr- I'm gonna try and guess like what your favorite interaction was because there were some good ones there. Not only did you get to talk to your probably all time favorite Dylan Moore, so I mean you got to talk to Sam Carlson too, very famous internet person Sam Carlson, also Mariners pitcher, which was pretty cool. He's uh, again you had a great conversation with him. I'd love to get to meet him eventually. Um, when I'm up there in the Seattle area, he was cool. You got to talk to Tyler Locklear as well. And then Harry Ford, again, go find all that stuff 
on our social media. We'll be posting. I think there's multiple clips of it that we'll be posting throughout the week if you want to. But that's just like a small snippet of of everything Lyle was able to indulge up there at uh, Funko Field. It was great. I mean, so obviously I was excited to talk to Dylan Moore. That's the first time I've met him. And, and that is part of the reason I went out there. I mean, partly I wanted to get out to Everett in general this year because they've got some exciting guys up there. But I thought the fact Dylan Moore would be on a rehab assignment there was the perfect time to get up there along with the Mariners being on the road. So the people in Everett were incredibly nice and incredibly helpful, by the way. Like, you know, they they helped get us set up. We told them who we were. And, and not only did they help us get squared away with everything, but they could not have been nicer when we got to the ballpark. They helped us get every player we were looking for. They were chatting us up in conversation. They got some pictures of us doing the interviews, which was really cool. I mean, I can't say enough nice things about him. But yeah, so Dylan Moore was great. I mean, he's just as he seems when he's in interviews or on TV. He's incredibly nice. He gave some really thoughtful answers, but they were fun at the same time. And anybody who's watched our social content with these players knows, you know, it's it's supposed to be on the fun, lighthearted side of things. Sam Carlson, I'll tell you, he was awesome. Like, he is an incredibly, incredibly cool guy. I mean, so anybody that follows him on social media knows. I mean, he's he's a social media star. We can call him that at this point, right? I mean, he's got nearly 900,000 TikTok followers. He's over 100,000 on Instagram. His content's hilarious. And then you meet him in person, he's super cool. And, like, he was very, very willing to hop on the mic and do some stuff with us. And much like Harry Ford, too. All those guys were were incredibly nice, and 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 they seemed like pretty interested in what we were doing. So to get out and, and do that was yeah, it was a blast. Did he show you how to throw the snapdragon? No, and it's too bad. I I, I should have asked them to kind of give me the give me the formula for it again, like grip the baseball for me and and all. But we were talking about his TikTok page a little bit, and just us doing TikTok as well, since we kind of share a, a similarity in that regard. Now, we are nowhere close to Sam Carlson level. Hopefully one day, hopefully you all you listeners can help us get to that point at some point. But we were kind of joking about how it's cool that Sam Carlson can do the whole self-deprecation thing with his TikTok page and his content creation because not everybody can do that. Not everybody can just kind of lightheartedly make fun of themselves, which is part of Sam's bit. And why some of his stuff is is really popular. Because to your point about the Snapdragon, I mean, he's talked about before. I tried to, you know, spin off a nasty Snapdragon. It got taken out of the ballpark or whatever. And then I got benched for the next two weeks. Like his TikTok, his TikToks go along the lines of things like that. And, and what he said when we were talking to him about it, he said, listen, if I'm saying I suck, People can't jump in the comments and say I suck because I'm already making fun of myself is what he was talking about. So, yeah, he's he was a really cool guy. And, and I think Sam's given himself a hard time. He does not suck. I mean, he's he's a he was a second round pick for a reason. He's got nasty stuff for a reason. I mean, yeah, but the point being, all in all, really cool guys. It was awesome to get out there. Yeah, it really was. I, I I would love to get up to Everett for a game. So maybe we'll have to coordinate and uh, and, and figure out how to make that work. So. I'm glad you got out there. It's going to be good social content. Be sure to to pay attention to all those. And yeah, hopefully we can connect with those guys down the line. And hey, maybe a bit more of a long form uh, conversation on that, that I think will, uh, that'll be super good. So a bunch of good guys in the Mariners organization, and we really appreciate it. Uh, speaking of those Mariners, let's get to our three Mariners storylines. All right. First up on our storylines this week, um, George Kirby is starting to do things that aces do Lyle it's becoming more and more apparent over the last month but 
he is doing all of those things that aces are supposed to do. So I'm often not a fan of the stat quality start just because sometimes like if you go out there and you go six innings and three earned runs every single time out, your ERA is going to be in the fours, which is not terrible, but it's not wowing. That being said, George Kirby has thrown eight straight quality starts. Six of those last eight, he has given up two earned runs or less. So in six of eight outings, he has gone six or more innings, giving up two earned runs or less. To your point, TJ, that is ace stuff. Um, You know what else is ace stuff? Uh, ace stuff? He's given up seven barrels in nine starts. <laughs> Think about that. Seven barrels in nine starts. Uh, what's another good stat here? He's gone at least six innings in every start since his first one, the one that me and you went to go watch in person against the Angels. Every single one since then, he has gone at least six innings. He has more starts of six or more innings than Luis Castillo and Marco Gonzalez combined this season. And that still stands after after we record on a Monday and Luis just checked off a six-inning start. Still stands. I would call that pretty good. I would love to go back into the replies of that guy in one of our TikTok comments. It was the first or second. It was the second round of fan interviews we did. And and you were asking people, oh, who's your favorite Mariner to watch? And somebody was talking about it was George Kirby. He can't wait to watch him pitch. He thinks it's going to be a big year for him. And that was right before that first Angel start where he only went less than five. Shohei took him deep. It wasn't his best outing. Somebody leaves us a comment that night and they go, this aged well. And I responded on our account. I said, he has 30 to 31 starts left. Well, I'd love to check in on that fan now and see what he thinks of George Kirby because he currently ranks top five in the American League in F4 and he ranks seventh in the American League in ERA at 262. Yeah, this guy's a borderline ace. Uh, yeah, you could say that. Last five starts, uh, a 202 ERA, 35 and two thirds. Uh, I think he's gone seven in all but one of those starts where he went six and two-thirds. 30 strikeouts, four walks. Team Opponents are slugging 321 against him. Here's more. Last three starts against the Braves, the Red Sox, and the Texas Rangers, who rank fourth, fifth, and second in the entire league in WRC+. And he gave up four earned runs in 20 and two-thirds, 21 strikeouts, and two walks. Those teams scored three, one, and zero runs in those games. Ace. Don't get it twisted. He is absolutely in the Cy Young race right now. Will we sit here and tell you he's the front runner? No, at least not yet. It's probably Sonny Gray at this point. That being said, he is in the race. You rank top five in the league in F4 and top 10 in ERA, rather top seven in ERA. Yeah, you're in the Cy Young race. George Kirby is absolutely in the race right now. He's been one of the best pitchers in the American League. And I think a reason for that, TJ, not just for that, but his jump between year one and year two, a lot of his secondary pitches have taken leaps. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you remember the pulled fly ball stats we were thrown out at the beginning of the season in the preview? Mm -hmm. That home run he served up to Travis Darno this weekend was the first home run he's given up on a pulled fly ball in almost a year. How's that, even, one, how's that even possible? 
for someone who throws as hard as he does and loves his fastball, that's insane. Like someone's going to turn on your fastball eventually, right? Like pulled fly balls are pretty dangerous when it comes to power pitchers, especially because you get it, you get it on the barrel and you barrel a pulled fly ball. It's more likely than not crashing off the fence or going over the wall. Uh, he has allowed just eight pulled fly balls all season, and that was just the second hit total off of one. It's it's crazy. It it, it is just bizarre. He's thrown five pitches pitches pretty regularly this season. Stuff aces do. Oh, and like he hasn't even thrown a splitter yet, which he's going to introduce. We know he's going to introduce it this season. It, it's already been said that it was called, and he like just wasn't really comfortable throwing it, and he probably wouldn't throw it against. Let's say in those last start against the Braves, it's probably not a lineup you introduce a new pitch against. But this upcoming weekend, when he faces the Pirates, he's going to throw it, right? Maybe. It would probably be a better lineup to do it. That feels like the type of team you unveil a new pitch against, especially if he feels like he's right on the borderline of being ready to throw it. And this guy has five to six pitches in his arsenal. He can throw a bunch of different offerings. And even without the splitter so far, just touching again on how a lot of his secondary stuff has taken a jump, that was kind of his deal in year one that sometimes he didn't have a consistent secondary pitch and a consistent second put-away pitch behind the fastball. Well, now both his curveball has been awesome. I mean, his, his curveball has been his best secondary pitch so far. His sinker's been good too. But that curveball, man, has that taken leaps. So it's just given him an entire new level to jump up to. And he's throwing them all for strikes. All of them. You know how hard it is to control five pitches? Really difficult. And he's walking 2% of his batters. Two. Two percent. Yeah, that ranks in the 99th percentile of all of baseball. We would call that pretty good. Yeah, I would say so. I have one favorite moment from this last weekend. He goes up and in on Ronald Acuna at about 97 miles an hour. Now, Ronald, I I love his game. He's a blast to watch. He can be a little fucking dramatic sometimes. He gets brushed back like this, uh, like inside his own shoulder, batting right-handed. Immediately turns out and glares at George Kirby, trying to get eye contact with him in, in on the mound, really trying to get eye count, contact on him. And George will not give it to him. He Like he won't. George like already walked off the mound and is like looking to center field, not giving it to him. The only eye contact he makes for the rest of the at-bat uh, is when George gets on the mound and then blows a fastball by him to strike him out. And then Ronald tries to do it again. And George just goes right to the dugout. It's just like, get the fuck out of here. Listen, I love Ronald Acuna. He's great for the game of baseball. He's a phenomenal baseball player. He's probably the NL MVP right now. If the season ended today. To your point, yeah, he's a little bit of a drama queen. He can be a little bit of a drama queen, and this is not his first instance with something like this. We're not sitting here saying Ronald Acuna is some bad guy or anything like that. Of course he's not. But he can be a little bit of a drama queen, and he was doing that with George this weekend. But hey, credit to George, who's like the most toned down, mellow, calm, humble person ever. He just wouldn't give in to it. Yeah, that's good. I wonder what someone that like a different Mariners personality would have done with that, but... I'm I'm glad it was George out there because it just like the energy just does not it does not replicate what George is like. I'm just gonna get you out. Yeah, maybe Logan would have been a little more pissed off. I don't know, because he he's got more of that flair on the mound, at least outwardly, than Kirby does. So maybe if it was Logan, 
he chirps back a, a word or two. But you know what? Kirby, he just said, all I'm worried about is getting outs. And, and that's what he did against Acuna. So George Kirby, man, Luis Castillo's the unquestioned ace of this team, but they have a significant one and one a punch at the top of the rotation with Kirby and Luis. The gap is closing. Yes, it is pretty, pretty quick, which is a great thing. And that's no knock against Luis. That's just talking about how unbelievable Kirby's been. And man, are we excited to watch it keep unfolding? Okay. Second storyline here, a little bit more on the downside, as good as the rotation has been, we've talked about the offensive struggles a little bit. Something I didn't realize till I saw a stat on Twitter this weekend, TJ. It's been about a calendar year now since Ty France has really been an elite bat. And, and along with that, it's been about a calendar year that he's gone through some struggles on the power side of things. It's like he's swinging a pool noodle up there. It's really strange. You look at his savant page. He's 11th percentile on average exit velocity, 28th percentile on hard hit rate, which are both bad especially for a first baseman. But if you look at his quality of contact, 10% better than average. His expecting batting average is in the 82nd percentile. Those are both quality, which it's kind of strange to see that balance there. But regardless, the, the what Ty France has put out there in the two spot, while he's had his, like, he's had his ups, I don't know if he's, his bat is quite the right thing. Thing for the two hole, I would say. I'm I'm just not like I'm just not thinking that the run production from him overall is quite there to to stay in this two spot. It's been it's kind of it's kind of strange to look at, but you're right. It has been oh, almost a year exactly, and he has been a sub replacement level bat since then. I, I I wrote it down since he got injured last year as a 96 wrc plus since since he came back 96 across. A pretty much a full season of play. And from a first baseman, that doesn't cut it. That that makes you below league average value. You, you're probably, you know, you're probably hovering right around zero war at that point. Here's the stat I saw. Since June 1st of 2022, Ty France is slashing 241. So a 241 average, 303 on base percentage, 384 slugging. That is low to come out to a 687 OPS. That's entering tonight's game. That was before the Monday win over the A's. He's also grounded into 24 double plays in that time. That's across just shy of 600 plate appearances. So a 687 OPS for your first baseman in the last calendar year. Look, when Ty France is at his best, I love him in the two spot. But it's been about a year now since he's really hit with much authority. I know everybody's talked about that 14-game hit streak that he just got off of, but it's just not a lot of power there. It's not crushing the ball. His ISO this year, his isolated power, 107. That's 47 points below his career average. And it's been like that for about a year. First basemen are not supposed to, to have an ISO of 107. I mean, you're supposed to get legitimate power production from that position. And Ty is like... He's not doing it because what you offset at 107 ISO with, oh, you hit 330 and you strike out 12% of the time, which he's still not striking out, which is nice, which this lineup desperately needs. But you can't, you cannot have your first baseman have a lack of slugging. I think the culprit here overall is breaking balls. 
He has a 229 weighted on base average. Again, which essentially like accumulates average uh, on base and slugging into into one number. It weights a walk, single, double, triple, home run, all differently, right? 229 overall, which is well below the league average of about 320 in that mark. He's slugging 217 against breaking balls. He is batting 167 against breaking balls. Last year, by comparison, 372 weighted on base average against breaking balls. He slugged 515 and he hit 297 against breaking balls. That's a culprit right there. Pretty big one. You have to hit breaking balls. You, you're going to crush the fastball. That's great. And, and, and you should, but you, if you can only hit one pitch, obviously you're going to start to see a healthy dosage of spin. And if Ty's struggling against breaking balls, and we know that, if, if we're just two guys sitting here with mics talking about it, you better believe every opposing team knows that. So that's how they're going to attack him a lot of the time. Look, Ty France is never going to have Pete Alonzo power. He's just not that type of guy. He's, he's not going to hit 40 home runs a year. He can certainly hit 20, 22. He can hit with some real thump in the lineup. In fact, when Ty France was at his peak, the comparison people were giving him was Baby Edgar. I heard that comp for Ty France numerous times. People called him Baby Edgar Martinez between his plate approach, his bat-to-ball skills, his ability to put the ball in the gap for doubles, and his sneaky power, where he can hit 20 to 25 home runs a year. Maybe 25 is the max. But it's just not coming out over the last calendar year, and we haven't seen enough of it for sure in 2023. I mean, the guy's only got a couple of home runs. One other concerning stat, which is not good. He has increased his infield pop-up rate to 9.2%. It was 5.4% last year and 5.5% in 2021. Uh, Those are outs nearly 100% of the time, and he's doing it 4% more now. So that's just like, that's taking every potential good quality batted ball and throwing it out right there. This Mariners lineup is supposed to be built on power, and it has to be if they're going to thrive. Here on Monday, this win against the A's, all the bats look great. I mean, hey, Ty France had two hits. Now, they were both singles, but he had two hits. So these guys are going to have to hit with authority if the offense really wants to get going. And a lot of that will have to be from Ty France. Maybe he turns it around here as the summer months start to get closer and closer, but you said it. Your first baseman can't be OPSing below 700. And I don't think you can have someone not hitting for this much power batting second. I I just don't think you can do it. I don't think the run production is there. Especially if JP is going to hit leadoff, which we've talked about on this show. We are okay with. He's doing a phenomenal job of it since he's been put there. But if you're going to essentially have two slap hitters in the one and two spots, that's not going to drive in a lot of runs. No. And those are the two spots in your lineup that are going to hit the most right? And you want the most run production. Odds are Julio heats up. Uh, you probably moved, uh, barring Ty heating up, you move Ty out of two and you move Jared and, uh, Jared and Julio up. Someone hits two, someone hits three. And you probably put Ty somewhere in the, somewhere probably still in the middle. You want to break up the, the clump of, of Cal Teoscar and Gino in terms of strikeouts. I would imagine just to like add a little bit of break in there. Uh, that's probably, I'm going to say that's probably how it ends up. I'm not sure how quick that happens. Scott Service doesn't seem like he's anything that he's mentioned that 
they're planning on moving Ty out of the two hole. But we might not agree with it now. I mean, it is what it is. So we'll, we'll see how long that uh, that potentially takes. All right, let's get to our third storyline. Third storyline here of the week, uh, Lyle. Very intriguing one that I didn't think at the beginning of the season that we would be mentioning uh, ever. I think Jose Caballero is has to be your starting second baseman, or at least take some. Jose Caballero is going to platoon at second base with Dylan Moore. That seems more and more every day like a reality. Jose Caballero is no joke. We can sit here now recording on May the 22nd and say, this guy's no joke. Now, is he going to be an all-star? Probably not. Is he going to run out of five war? Almost definitely not. Can he be this team's near everyday second baseman or at least platoon? Yeah. Look at everything this guy's done. He's got an 802 OPS. His OPS is over 800. I mean, the Mariners have just waited and waited for a second baseman to do anything like that. 123 WRC plus entering today. So 23% above league average. That's before he hit the home run, by the way. So we would assume that's going to go up. He is playing phenomenal defense. He ranks in the top 10 percentile of the league in defense. And he's incredibly fast. I mean, how much more could you ask for out of this guy? Uh, Did you know he's the best base runner on the team right now? Doesn't shock me. It's a pretty low bar to clear because overall they've been a pretty crummy base running team. So yeah, that's value right there. Uh, More impressively, I mean, overall for the season, he's walking 12% of the time. There was a clip there where he was striking out above 30% of the time, but he's brought that K rate down to 23% for the season. If you just look at the month of May, 178 WRC plus, he's walking 14% of the time and striking out less than 20. Small sample. But as a second baseman, I like, yeah, I mean, what 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 was the last second base month that did that for the Mariners? Tim Beckham? It's got to be Robbie, unless that hot Tim Beckham April back in 2019 really did that. I'm thinking Robbie. Yeah, it has to be, right? Like, I don't remember the last time I saw a month like that from a Mariners second baseman. The competition around him is not great, but he is... There hasn't been much he's done wrong necessarily at the plate. He's, you know, he hasn't been afraid to stand there in the box and Martin Maldonado gets in his face and starts chirping at him, tells him to get get ready and start to hit. And he's like, fuck off. I mean, he does that. <laughs> he he has long at bats, which is oh, so refreshing for a lineup that just doesn't stop swinging and missing. He he doesn't really embody that. He he uh, it's it's great. It's a, it's a joy to watch. He makes it a lot more fun to watch. And we saw it this week in Atlanta. He played against righties with Colton Wong on the roster. It was him in the lineup. He played every game against the Braves. Jerry Depoto said they were going to give Wong a rest. I don't know how you play Colton Wong over Caballero right now. Even if you think he's going to regress, that's probably better than what Colton Wong does. And once Dylan Moore comes back, who thrives against left-handed pitching and also walks, hits for some power, plays good defense, steals bases... How would you put Colton Wong in there over Dylan Moore? I mean, Dylan Moore is probably going to move around as he always does, but I think a lot of his playing time will be seen at second base this year to kind of take some of the pressure off and load off a Caballero. So it seems like it's going to be those two moving forward like you open the segment up with. And where does that leave Colton Wong? I guess that's another topic to dive into here. I got to say, Colton Wong is one of the worst baseball savant pages I've seen. It is. (laughs) It's It's bad. He, 
All right, I'm going to just put a disclaimer. I know Colton Wong is a really great guy. I know he is. And I know he's had an incredibly productive, over-decade-long major league career. Here are some of the career lows for Colton Wong. Career lows in expected batting average, expected slugging, weighted on-base average, expected weighted on-base average, which is quality of contact, hard hit percentage, walk rate, strikeout rate, average exit velocity. He has a 40 WRC plus this year. He is uh, a sub, he's been pretty bad on the base paths. The only uh, people who have been worse base runners than him are three guys who are not supposed to be good base runners, Tom Murphy, Ty France, and A. Eugenio Suarez. And he's also 27th percentile in outs above average. There's not a single thing he's doing well. Not one. I hate to continue to pile on here, but you're not even bringing up his arm strength at second base, which you wouldn't think second base arm strength means a whole lot. He ranks in the first or second percentile in arm strength. And there have been a lot of double plays this year that have not been turned because the arm isn't there. I Here's the quote from Jerry DePoto this week. He said, obviously you saw, I think this is during the Brave series, that Caballero got a start against, uh, or actually might have been Red Sox, regardless from last week. He got the start against a right-handed pitcher, and you might see that more in the short term as we try and give Colton a chance to reset and get his season started in a way he's accustomed to playing. I don't see, for a team that is trying to win right now, that has the patience to wait for a near-decade-long veteran to turn around. I'm going to give you some perspective. I told you this before we started recording. I didn't realize to the extent of how negative, like the value on a team that Colton Wong has been this season. Uh, He is already worth negative 1.1 wins above replacement this year. Already he is stepped to the plate less than 100 times. He's already been worth negative 1.1 wins above replacement by baseball reference for reference. The person who I claimed was one of the worst baseball players I've ever watched in my life. Abraham Toro was worth negative 0.7 wins above replacement last year in 350 plate appearances. Colton Wong is nearly half a win worse in a third of the plate appearances. That is how bad it's been. And I don't see a path forward for him this year. It It's just that bad. The Mariners didn't lose much either way in that trade, considering to get Colton Wong, they gave up Jesse Winker, who I don't think anybody really wanted to keep around. And then your favorite guy, as you just brought up, Abe Toro, where the two guys traded to Milwaukee to get Wong. So it's not like they're going to be feeling this trade forever. I mean, Wong hits free agency this winter. He's only got you know a few more months left on this contract. But where that leaves him the rest of the year, he may just be the last guy on the bench. I, I don't know how you stop playing Jose Caballero at this point. And obviously, you're going to get Dylan Moore in at least a few times a week once he gets healthy. That feels like that leaves Colton Wong with just a bench spot. Maybe he'll get a game here and there. Maybe he gets it off the bench here and there. I don't know how he wins this job back unless he does something remarkable. Here's the way I think, um, here's my prediction. We could probably check in on this next week when Dylan Moore gets activated. I think all three of them stay on the roster and Dylan Moore slides in as an outfielder instead. And maybe, does Haggerty have any options left? 
No, he he feels like the odd man out right now when Demo gets back. Yeah, I I think more odds are he they're all three of them stay on the roster. I I just I don't see them cutting ties with him. It seems a little early for that. But I also can't I cannot see in any world how he's playing over Dylan Moore or Caballero at second base. I I don't see it. Not if you say you're you're trying to put your best lineup out there. Let's check back in on this when Demo gets activated because I, I'm with you. I, I don't think they move on from him. I think he's going to stay on the roster pretty much all year, if not all year, period. And what his role looks like, it's it's TBD. Again, he, he may be a bench bat. He may only play once a week. But listen, it, the glass half full part of that is if Caballero's this good, it's a blessing in disguise. And Caballero's a rookie. Like, could you imagine if they actually have found their second baseman moving forward in Caballero when they didn't even really mean to? We'll pump the brakes on that a little bit. I said, hey, hey, I said, said, what if? I didn't say yes, it happened. I said, what if? Okay. I'm just saying. We're we're running on a small sample, too, like small sample for Colton. It's small, small sample for Jose. But if he wants to be great just this year, that's fine, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that. It makes the it makes the Mariners' plans, I guess, this year a little more clear. Thankfully, because if they if Caballero was, I don't know, having a WRC plus of eighty at second base, which for him as a rookie wouldn't be out of this realm, you'd be kind of shit out of luck, and you might still have to play Colton Wong and just hope he turns it around like he did last year. I don't know. They they you know as we're recording this, they have a week against the A's and the Pirates. Will Colton Wong probably see some at-bats against the A's? Probably. Yeah. Will he see some at-bats against the Pirates? Probably. I mean, in terms of what Jerry said, resetting and starting the way he wants to. This might be it, right? For for getting his confidence back. And there's a little spurt there. It looked like he was, you know, kind of back a little bit. But then I think he hurt his wrist. And then it's right back to back to pre-injury production so we don't know if he's we don't know how bad he's hurt they haven't mentioned anything like that but that'll be something to monitor as we go along uh with the second base situation didn't really talk about second base with michael fisher the founder of codify baseball but i've been following him on twitter for quite a while now he is a very interesting story he works directly with a handful of major league pitchers helping them with game strategy, pitch selection, like where to throw it, all these types of stuff. Uh, you can go, I, there's a, a great article on Pitcher List if you want to go read up a little bit on his background before you listen to this interview with him. We do go into a little bit of his background, but if you want to have some words in front of your face as well, there's some background out there on the internet as well. Very, you know, he's a very smart guy, very numbers oriented guy as well. Again, very popular on Twitter as well. Really enjoyed our conversation with him. Um, Yeah, and I love talking about pitchers. He was great. I mean, he is so knowledgeable about not just the game, but pitchers. And he's got such an interesting background. And you'll hear us kind of dive into what he's all about because this is modern day baseball. He he was a believer in analytics way before it was cool, way before Moneyball. And he talks about that in the interview with us. And he kind of dives into why it's valuable, how it's helped pitchers, how he kind of views it. I mean, just everything we talked about with him, 
awesome conversation. Just like you, I followed him on Twitter for a while. He does some phenomenal content. So we were really excited to get him on. And now we're going to let you hear a little bit about it. So with that, let's get to our interview with the founder of Codify Baseball, Michael Fisher. Okay, we welcome on Michael Fisher of Codify Baseball. He founded Codify back in 2003. You can find him and much of his work on Twitter at Codify Baseball. Michael, we appreciate you taking some time to join us here today. Before we get into you, just wanted to acknowledge as a Mariners-themed podcast, I know you grew up an A's fan, and we're, we're kind of heartbroken that the A's are, are going to be leaving the Bay Area uh, sometime in the future, and it, it is really terrible what they've done here in the last, it seems like, last de- decade or so. So we just thought we'd say sorry. Yeah, I actually went to games when I was a kid uh, as a season ticket holder. I mean, it's, people talk about bleeding green and gold, and, and then you ask them to name three players, and they can't do it. I, You know, I really did. Not so much anymore because I'm helping a lot of different guys, but um, they're not gone yet. No. Remember I, remember I said that. Uh, I mean, you can see it now where they're like, hey, we have this binding agreement, and then they get there, and the Vegas guys are like, yeah, we're not going to give you half a billion dollars. We need to talk about that. So we'll see what happens. So we're recording here on a Thursday, and I think there was, like you said, another story on their mm-hmm. second land agreement today that came out that said, well, hold on here a second. So I don't know. Um, do, do you think there is, like, what, what percent chance do you think they would actually stay? Uh, in 10 years, there's a good chance that a team called the Oakland A's will be playing in Oakland. Um, whether it's the same franchise or if MLB did something cute with some expansion and started calling them that or whatever. Um, there's still a path there though. And actually the Oakland mayor is kind of like, Hey, you know, we didn't just tell you guys, we'd never talk to you again. So, uh, there's a good path there. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, that, that site at at Bally's is kind of crazy. Nine acres. I mean, you know how small nine acres is? Yeah, that's Fenway Park, so, right? Fenway Park. Yeah. Right. So, and have you been to Vegas? I mean, it's not, I don't know. Don't go there and play baseball. Did you like the Oakland Coliseum growing up? Because I went about four or five years ago and I was like, wow. And and not in like a great way. So I'd love to get your take on it. Uh, it's hot garbage now. Okay. Uh, back... Uh, I can't remember which year it was that uh, they put in what's called Mount Davis, which is that just garish center field uh, wall of glass and concrete. But you used to be able to see the hills during the game. It was really nice. Um, and it was newer and, and all that. It's, it's horrible now. It, it, you know, it obviously needs to be replaced. But um, there was definitely a time when we didn't go to the game thinking what a, what a dump it was. But, but now, of course, it is. I'm sorry I can't dress that up. It's, it's a dump. I mean, there's raw sewage, there's possums in the wall, there's, so, but I used to like it. How many different animals have you seen there? How many have I seen there? Uh, seven. Wow. Wow. That's, that's yeah. more than I thought. Yeah. Well, splitting may, maybe you group two of them and, and call them cats, but one of them definitely looked like a lynx. So we're calling it, we're going to call it a different one. I was going to ask, what are the seven or six in that case? Yeah, I uh, definitely have seen skunks, possums, rats, um, the lynx, uh, definitely dogs. Uh, what were the other ones that we saw? Oh, bats everywhere. Um, what was the other one? I have to think about it. Um, although you could probably guess from that group that it's kind of fair game for, for whatever. 
I think a seagull would count too, right? I know they hang it. They like hanging Absolutely. out at Oracle seagulls a lot. Everywhere. Yeah, the seagulls know what inning it is. Right, a hundred percent. It's the weirdest thing. So, Michael, let's get a little bit into Codify Baseball, a company you started in 2003 that wasn't actually supposed to be a baseball company at the start. I believe, uh, in quote, a company that you said, a company that provides analytics consulting services, which, if you think about it, is actually very much true now more than ever. It's just more focused on baseball. So just for those who don't know who you are, could you show a little bit of background about how you started and how you got to, I guess, doing exactly what you do now. Right. Um, even though I'm a lifelong baseball fan, that was, it wasn't very easy to pay the bills doing baseball uh, back then. And so my, my line of work is more in business administration, analytics, financial services, that kind of thing. So Codify started when I got tired of working traditional jobs and wanted to start my own business. Um, it was not with anything baseball related in mind. And for, gosh, uh, at least 12 years after that, it was just straight boring, you know, loan money to people and, and collect money and, and decide what rates you're going to charge. Just boring stuff, but I was good at it. And it's, you know, I love numbers and, um, you know, obviously it kept, kept the lights on and, I could see my kids and I could spend time with my wife. So that's how Codify started. Uh, and then I went to a family reunion. I don't know if you know the story, but it's just completely nuts. So my, my uncle had remarried and he introduces us to his new, new wife and she's a sweet lady. And she's like, Oh yeah. So nice to meet you. I love baseball. You love baseball. I was like, Oh boy. This, okay. <laughs> my, my boy plays for the A's. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Um, Little league, right? You're just picturing. That's really cute. That's great. So no, I I shouldn't say he plays for the A's. He plays in their minor league system. Like, so you could, you, you just see me like, say what? I mean, I'm going to call your bluff now because back then I can't do it now. Back then I actually knew the starting rotation of every A's minor league system, uh, team and that whole thing. So I actually with you know, does he play for Vancouver? She's like no, and she's smiling at me. Does he play for King County? Yeah, he plays for King County. I like the first guy name is Dan Straley. So yeah, that's my boy. Like you, you gotta be kidding me, right? Because I mean, knew who this guy was had followed him. You could kind of see that maybe someday he'll be up because he had a, a good fastball slider combo. Okay, fine. This is like 2010. Okay, I mean, it took like I mean, like I went to a Ports game and met him. I went to a Rivercats game and met him. Talked to him a little bit. Didn't do anything to help the guy. Nothing. There's I don't know if you know, back then it's not like there were just, there wasn't data flowing. There weren't, there weren't cameras. It was the first like pitch FX, pitch tracking stuff. It was, that was garbage too. I mean, it, you know, a good chunk of the, the records were wrong. And like, so how do you clean this up? And I just, there was no inkling of, of doing that for a living. Uh, anyway, 2015, it's spring training and, uh, he's been, uh, DFA. I think it was during the, actually it was 2016, early 2016. He got DFA twice in a week. And, uh, he just called me and he said, you know, I know you love this stuff. You're good with numbers. And can you just look at the, these numbers that the team has given me and can you give me some advice? Cause all they keep telling me to do is throw faster. So he had been uh, through the Cubs and the Astros and they were just like, dude, if you can't throw 93, 
we don't have a spot for you. So you guys know baseball, like you're going to throw a baseball as fast as you can. Where's your arm? Just kind of think about where that is. And his arm was kind of out to the, to the side of it. So he had a lot of run to his fastball and, uh, it was going right into baseball bats. So had to try to convince him to like, okay, I'm looking at some of this data and it kind of looks like when you don't do that as much, you get more rise on your fastball, you get less run on it, you're getting more swings and misses, you get most importantly, a ton, a ton of fly out. And if you go all in on this thing and just, I mean, you know, don't hurt yourself doing it because he's been thrown like this for years. Um, you know, probably stick around, at least give it a try. And sure enough, um, if you go back and look, I mean, he, he made a lot of extra money getting a lot of guys to fly out to Billy Hamilton or whoever else was standing out there in center field. You know, the numbers aren't blow you away numbers with velocity to 91, 92. Um, but it worked. And of course, uh, you also know from being around baseball that how if something's working, how everybody comes out of the bushes wondering how they can get something themselves. So Tommy Malone, who's, who's still hanging around, uh, was I think number two by like a day. It's like Trinan, Sean Doolittle, you know, kind of that motley crew of A's guys. And uh, after I helped all them, I mean, Trinan had an all-star year, Doolittle had an all-star year. Tommy hung around. You've seen him pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've well, seen him start pitching. this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Um, but then I realized how different, I mean, I've been around baseball a long time, but even back then, like, God, these guys are all different. Like, how, how do they think? Not just how do they throw it, how do they think? Um, so right about then, it started to get kind of weird. Like, okay, now there's 10 guys that want me to help them. And I'm trying to do this banking thing. And, <laughs> you know, I have contracts with those guys that I have to fulfill and all that stuff. So for two years or so, it was trying to juggle both of those things. And then finally in, in like 2019, um, yeah, somebody gave me some great advice. They, they said, you know, if the future you showed up, you know, and was giving you advice, like what would they tell you? It was very clear to me. Like they would tell me, you, you got to try this. You got to go in on this. This is what you love. So that's what happened. I let my contracts run out on, on banking and just jumped all the way in on the, on the baseball side. And I mean, so far so good. It, it's not that simple because all the, the, the teams don't really necessarily love that somebody's giving their guys advice from wherever the hell I am. So um, that's that's tough. That's a long answer to your question, but that's how it, that's how it came. And then today it's just you know surviving, adding guys as I can. Uh, you know, guys get hurt all the time. Guys get cancer, like Liam Hendricks. Um, any it just you know it's just it's just this wild thing, and every day it's just waking up and trying to figure out. Who's on board for that day? Okay, so obviously now you have a whole bunch of big leaguers that are coming your way for help. But for you over the years, how did you learn as much about pitching as you did to build trust with those players to make their way to you and said, hey, help us. How can I get better? Well, I didn't play past the high school level. I coached high school baseball. Um, I can certainly talk that talk. I'm really good with data. Um and I'm six five, so that helped a lot. Uh, I noticed right away, like in in the sports arena, like just how it's it's not right. I don't condone it, but you just kind of like you can buy yourself a ticket of like, hey, that guy looks like he used to play, and not walking around telling talking people out of it. 
but at least they'd hear the first thing I'd say. And not, and most of the time people wouldn't even ask, like, did you pitch? Did you do this? Whatever. Um, a lot of what I learned as I, as I went along was from these guys I helped and just hearing how they think and how they talk. And, um, I mean, some guys you can just completely destroy if you give them certain advice. Like there are, there are pitchers I help who don't even look at the stuff I give them. Now that sounds crazy. I know they're like, I'm just going to give this to my coach or give this to my catcher. They're going to call the pitch. All I can do is focus on executing a major league pitch. I have no room for anything. I don't want to talk about my release point or my tempo or my sequencing or just nothing. And I know you're going to help me, but that's like all I can do. And other guys are just like, feed me as much as you can feed me, but that's not necessarily what you should do. So that's another trick of trying to figure out, is this one of the rare, fairly rare breed that you can really overload and share everything that's in your mind about what might work with him or do you have to be selective and that, that and not be offensive doing that. You know, that's, that's actually not easy to do. In terms of what you actually give them, if people want to get a better idea of what you give the players, you can go to at codify baseball on Twitter. I believe it's your pin tweet. Brian Kenny had you on MLB network and you, you ran through a very quick version of what you do essentially for, for what you've made public. It's these heat charts. You could see them on on Baseball Savant, for example. They have so many of those. I, 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 you know, think of another question off of that. But we'll we'll go with this one first. So with those those heat charts that you're looking at, how how much uh, how many layers goes into this? When when uh, I, w- I was doing some reading up on this, you mentioned you know a bunch of different bullet points that you look at. Like expected stats, um, you know, weather induced as well, uh, where you're standing on the mound. I mean, there's, there's a whole number of different factors that go into these. How do you whittle those down into putting that into, into one composite picture? Right. Uh, whatever you see, I think, uh, Brian Kenny put up some pretty old, uh, examples from 2020, 2021. Um, it, but it's been for since, since I first started working with Dan, just a constant, cycle of what's wrong with this where is this falling short and what can i put into this thing um confidently and not blow it up uh but then still be able to boil it down and hand it to a guy to have him use it uh you know that didn't even touch umpires or weather or you know a lot of the things that are in there now the very first maps were, were also hot garbage they were um i think Fangraphs still has it they have a what is it? It runs above average per hundred pitches, something mm-hmm. like that. And Dan Straley had seen that and he's like, that's hot. Uh, I want that. And then I'm like, okay, so kind of try to replicate it. Then I'm like, well, do you know what goes into runs above average? And do we want to talk about maybe something custom of what you're trying to do that, you know, how much is this, is this, is a whiff work? How much is it called strike work? Does it matter what the count is? All that stuff. So that, there's this whole evolution just for Straley. And then as the other guys added and we, you know, they're like, how come my map isn't changing? They're like, well, this is history that, you know, there was a, that was the big breakthrough of like, let's make it predictive. Let's who, why do we care about what happened other than what's, what do I do now? What's my best chance of success now? And that's really where, that's really where it, it, it uh, thankfully lined up with a lot of what I've done with the banking. I mean, cause that, that's all predictive stuff. Nobody really cares, you know, this person has acted like this. How are they going to act in the future? Uh, applied that to to baseball. 
Um, so what you see, I mean, there are really, I'm sorry to groan, but I mean, there are billions of calculations uh, every day that run uh, <laughs> to try to guess the future based on all the things we've seen. Uh, moving around in the rubber is a big deal. And you wouldn't believe how many guys are calling me, especially in the off season. But even during a season, they're like, uh, in fact, I'll just say it. This is, you know, I hope he doesn't mind, but Jake Deacon, uh, who I just love, love him to death. But he's, uh, it, it, you may notice a little bit of a pattern. I like these like lefty flinger guys. You'll see a, a lot of them up there, like Shamanaya, guys like that. Um, but he's like, man, my, there's just something wrong. My, my slider just, it doesn't have the same zip and pat. I'm not getting the same reaction from it. And we go, I don't, I don't watch these guys release points all the time because you can mess a guy up. Just generally, usually it's, they come to me and say something's wrong before you go there, generally speaking. And that's what he was doing. And go look and the guy's over like a foot and a half. Like, why did you move? Like somebody, some, some coach told me to move. It. And I'm like, but, but why? But why? I mean, there, if there's, a reason and it's true let's talk about it. it doesn't mean it's wrong but let's talk about it and you know i showed him the path of his pitches from where he normally flings it versus where he was suddenly doing it closer to the center and it's just like batting practice now and then he's then he's you know trying to throw harder and trying to make it move more and then you're just you're just done and he couldn't correct it in time and then that was it the white Sox let him go and ray's got a freebie so um, he's fixed it since. I don't know if you saw him dismantle uh, Vogelbach the other day, but I mean, not that that's totally fair, lefty on lefty, but he, he's back to having the confidence. And that's that he's a good example of somebody who sometimes you can go take it apart and like look at the grip and the release points and the, you know, are you sending as much? And that's difficult. Sometimes it's as simple as, yeah, I just kind of moved on the rubber a little bit. Like you can't, you can't expect that not to matter. Uh, so sometimes you're fortunate and it's a simple thing. Okay. So your answer there just sparked a really good question, which is how much do players have to balance what you tell them versus what their teams are telling them? I think they're all different. Um, I do have a lot of private clients who smuggle the codify Intel into the hotel room and try to study it so that when someone calls a slider, they know where to work. Uh, other guys, uh, a lot of the Giants were taking it to meetings, uh, which was just wild because in, in the very beginning, Buster Posey early on was like way against like codified. Like this is not coming anywhere near. I know better. And frankly, I mean, he had the, who are you going to listen to if you're a Giants picker? You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. But by his last season, he was asking Gosman and, and Logan Webb. He's at, he's like, hey, you got your codify stuff. Let's go sit down with the giant stuff and the codify stuff and let's look at it. And, you know, there's a lot of places like, hey, Kevin Gosman, you should throw a splitter down at this guy's knees. Like, no, no kidding. Yeah. But the codify stuff would show him, like, how far can I go down to this guy? How, you know, how far out can I go to that guy? And it would, where it didn't line up, then they would have their debates. And a lot of times Gosman's just like, I've been going with this and it's been working and we went and made a hundred, whatever million dollars doing it. So that helps with the next interaction. Um, but it, the, to answer your question, in another long way, it's all, they're all different. And, uh, it just depends, depends on the attitude of the team and the attitude of the player. Um, I don't know if you know, but like Lucas Giolito will take his PlayStation on the road and play the show. He'll print out his codify maps and he'll play the game using the maps. That's cool. 
and and that's his way of memorizing like getting in his head so he's, when he's out there on the mound in caveman mode he can remember this stuff because it's not that easy to remember i mean there's as much detail to this stuff as you want to see but i don't know that i could remember all you know 13 14 maps whatever i have to study for today in perfect detail so so the these pitchers have maps for every hitter they would face on a given day yeah, that's the one thing that every client uses are these maps. So you hear about the maps a lot because that's one thing that they all use. Um, some guys have count specific stuff. Some guys are, but everybody has at least one just kind of, I hate to call it generic with all the millions of calculations, but kind of a fundamentally, this guy's weak here. And as long as you're not, you know, throwing six sliders in a row to Aaron Judge, you, uh, you know, this is going to work if you're, if you're mixing well. Um, some, but some guys, but some guys want more. Some guys want two strike maps. Like, okay, you just doubled the stuff you have to memorize. So, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. What is it, more of a general question? Because you see now, you see working with all your clients, you see a lot of pitching. And I heard Pitching Ninja ask you this question on a podcast you guys did over a year ago, which I thought was a great question for someone who studies pitching as much as you do. What what is a trend that you see this year? But I, I, let's say over the last calendar year, in terms of pitchers and what they do, and I guess some teams that accept that more than others. Hmm. Well, this year with all the the, I'm sure I didn't say this last year. Um, with all the rule changes, uh, definitely the thing that hasn't really been addressed is pitch calling. Some teams. Uh, some teams have been more proactive in, in how they determine who calls the pitches. Um, you're still not really seeing anything but the pitcher and catcher, which is interesting because it doesn't really have to be limited to that, but everybody's, you know, really antsy about getting stuff stolen and all that stuff. Um, but a lot of pitchers have just been like, hey, I'm, you know, I used to have time. I, you know, I have, I have five pitches. You're my catcher. Okay. In last year, I could sit there like this and see the call pitch I want to throw, right? Who's going to stop me? Nobody's going to stop me. And now you've gotten to the fifth pitch if it took you that long, and I'm going to throw the pitch that I want to throw. I, this is the pitch I wanted you to call. This is the pitch I'm going to throw. That's not happening now. In a lot of cases, if you have five pitches and you didn't have the little pitch com on your wrist and call the pitch yourself, what happened? You don't have time to shake four times, so you're like, well, I'm either all in with this catcher or I'm throwing a pitch without conviction. I still think that there's a lot left for pitchers to harvest there. Um, you know, some of my guys are just like, I'm just going to study my brains out and then let my pitcher control, or excuse me, let my catcher control the mix. And I mean, you almost have to fool yourself into thinking that's the best thing you can do because again, conviction gets you through a lot of, a lot of things. Um, so as far as the trend goes, it's funny that the teams, you know, the way teams have approached this new dynamic has varied quite a bit. And some some teams I know through the grapevine have really pushed their pitchers to do one or the other. And others have just been like, you do whatever the hell you want. I didn't really push you before. Why would I push you now? It's just fascinating that you guys spend billions of dollars on these players and do you've seen the binders of stuff and just every stat you want they have somewhere 
Um, but what happens? So they don't really, they don't really mold what's happening at the pitch level. They kind of leave that up to the pitcher and catcher so much, which is fascinating. And then what I definitely notice still is after the fact, they aren't really coming back and going, Hey, Lyle, uh, yeah, I know I told you to throw a slider to that guy, but sorry that didn't work out. I shouldn't have told you that. Instead, they're going to arbitration that, that off season and they're like, you gave up a home run. I'm like, you told me to throw it there. Like, that's not a factor in arbitration. So, you know, uh, you've seen guys go driveline a lot too, obviously over the years. Um, you know, you're going to go where, where it helps your career. So, um, that's a big trend is how much teams are embracing that. And, and, uh, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I thought I'd have fewer guys that are private codify guys now, but I still do. I'm still have guys going, Hey, can we keep this hush hush? I'm like, you've been playing in the big leagues for eight years. What, what is going to, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, what's, what's the deal? But okay. I mean, I want to work with you. So uh, that's fascinating to me. Um, I get that if you'd never heard of codify and there was no track record, you got to vet. Who, who the hell is this guy? You know, but there's a track record down there now. And then it seems like the giants have been like, I mean, Andrew Bailey cold called me. I'm like this, Andrew Bailey, this guy pitched for the A's, you know, is this Andrew Bailey, Andrew Bailey? Yeah, it can't be him. <laughs> this is Andrew Bailey with the San Francisco giants. Uh, hi. He's like, <laughs> I hear you give a map to my guys, you know, like I just want to, you know, talk to you about what they are and all this stuff. And, and in, in 15 minutes, He's like, oh, so we get three wins because you help these guys and we don't have to pay for it. Okay. And you're going to show, you're not hiding the maps. You're going to show. So the, the Giants were very progressive. Other teams are just like literally, literally having meetings. I won't say who. I really shouldn't. Literally had a meeting. The entire purpose was not outside help, was codify. Thou shalt not use codify. Wow. Fortunately, Fortunately, there were two people, uh, two really good clients in the group that stood up and started just reciting their stats from the previous year. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? You're like, these are our stats from last year. If you, if you can help us more, if you can completely replace what Codify does for us, we'll be happy to do it. But why on earth would we not want to continue to use that? So anyway, th- th- there's a lot. The game is constantly changing. Uh, there's so many more things to come. This this automated strike calling thing is just going to be. Nobody really knows how insane that's going to be. Um, no one's listening. Like I I feel like the old man in cloud thing. The only time I ever feel like it is when I talk about the thing they haven't addressed of how the strike zones. Uh, they've said all along will be based on height and not your your stance. They've said it all along. Well, what's Juan Soto going to do? Juan Soto's strike zone is the size of a postage stamp because he crouches down, swings low, right? Yeah. What's someone yeah. like Bellinger going to do? Suddenly you can't get Bellinger with that, you know, you're going to lose a strip at the top of the zone, judge as well. It's going to be a radical change for guys. And maybe they'll change what they do, but that's going to be huge, man. And uh, it's going to happen because they're just missing too many calls. They just, the, the pitches are going too fast. Um, have you guys ever been near, like near it? Like near a pitch, a major league pitch. I don't mean during a game, but like a a bullpen session, or maybe from the stand from the stands. Or, sure, yeah. I mean, pretty close. 
mm-hmm. uh, there was a spring, there was a spring training. Uh, uh, the Nationals asked me to come out, and they were showing me the the back fields, and Max Scherzer's out there on out to, on this hill throwing, and I'm staring at him, and they're like, "Come on, come on, you know, come over this way," and I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> this is like Da Vinci." painting over there on that hill i'm going over there like you can't go over there i'm like i'm i'm going to go over there though you're gonna to have to call security it's max scherzer um and i ended up behind this green screen like a tennis court wall screen or whatever and the catcher was like leaning against it and catching him so i was like 63 feet away from him when he was pitching and i will never attack an umpire <laughs> for not being able to call, you know, an insanely high amount. Now, some of them are not good, obviously. But, uh, I mean, just the human eye can't, can't do it. Not in my, certainly not at my age. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the, all the umpires should be, you know, under 30 because that's when your eyes start to go bad and all that stuff. But it, we can't, we'll never have perfection, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you'll see on, on my Twitter account, I, you might, perceive a little bit of umpire bashing, but I try to go out of my way to say, this is really hard. They, they're missing a lot of calls, but it's really hard. Uh, but you yeah, think you umpire, missing. you think you umpire bash a lot. We have a whole segment. Yeah. Oh, do you? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and you, well, they're you missing know nine calls a game, so. Yeah. And you know what? That, so sometimes it's about the missed balls and strikes calls, but sometimes it's about things like, Alfonso Marquez throwing Christian Walker out of the game because he had two, like he was clapping after a walk. Right. It's things like that. Right. <laughs> so right. that's, that's easy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I've got to ask this too. You don't have to tell us who it was that had a whole meeting about not using Codify. If I had to guess, is it two teams that are not very anal- analytically driven? You know, I would tell you that that's a, I like how you got to that guess and it's actually a bad guess. Oh, but how about if I just tell you that it's a team that thinks they're good analytically, hmm. like maybe they even made a movie about them. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> how about that? Okay. Yeah. So I did want to ask you, a, oh, go ahead, TJ. No, go ahead. Oh, so I did want to ask you a little bit about this because this is a point I've wanted to start to make about asking people, maybe a generation of baseball ahead of us this question, which is, so a lot of people that listen to this podcast know that we're very analytically driven. We're bought in on the advanced stats. We talk about them. We try to explain them to people because we're trying to push the game along. Like we're trying to get people away from batting average and things like that a little bit. But a lot of people that are older than us that listen to this podcast and have talked to us a little bit about it say like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't understand any of this stuff. How was all this stuff quantified? Where did you learn this stuff? And for us, I think we started learning it by the time we were old enough to comprehend it. In high school, I watched a lot of MLB Network where they explained a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I kind of grew up with it. For you, and for you, what point in your life did you start to hear some of this stuff, some of the advanced stats, especially toward pitching, and you started to sit there and say, oh, this makes a lot of sense and people should be buying into this stuff. 1981. Wow. Uh, Bill James' first baseball abstract. Um, I read his first one before the second one came out. And, of course, from then on. Uh, he was, I mean, if there's anybody that was uh, not physically, but a mentor, I mean, it's definitely Bill James. It's just <laughs> just a, kind of a scientific approach of, like, let's just look at this and see. Now, he didn't have shit to work with then. Uh-huh. I mean, 
you're you're pulling up you're pulling up uh, open the baseball encyclopedia, which you may not even know what that was, but it's this massive. In fact, I have one behind me. It's a massive, you know, ten thousand page book, and you're sifting through it, hoping to see how many at bats some guy had. Um, certainly, none of the, I mean, not, no detail whatsoever. Um, definitely back then, right away, it's just hey, there's so much more to this game, and it's not. I mean, anybody that says baseball is boring, like just come sit with me for one game. Because there's just so much going on. There's so much nuance. Um, and now we're finally getting to where, damn it, they can track everything. A guy drops his hat and they can literally tell you the RPMs on his hat as it tumbles to the ground, the speed of his hat. The, the, a streaker runs on the field like, well, we picked him up. We don't, we don't really want to do that. But I mean, the cameras are going and they're looking for people to, to track. And, um, it's tough though. The older fans, um, there's definitely a crew. In fact, I think it was, um, Ooh, Tom Tango, right? Uh, you talk about batting average and he starts foaming at the mouth. I mean, it's like, you know, if he could abolish, if he could push a button and batting average cease to exist forever, he would, he would push it before you finished asking him if he wanted to. Um, I don't really think that. I don't, I mean, it still tells you something. It's obviously not anywhere near a perfect stat, but it still tells you something. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of a ticket into, I think to your point of like, there's an older fan who, you know, you know what batting averages, right? Okay, well, let's step into slugging percentage. Let's step into on-base percentage. Hey, we found out if we add these things together, it means something. And, you know, you can have your WRC plus or whatever, but it's like it that correlates with OPS so tightly. What is it really necessary? Um, a lot of people think it is. I'm like, hey, you know, it depends on your audience. I don't, I don't think you buy enough uh, with a general fan to, to keep splitting it up. And then you ask Blake Snell, on a national broadcast, what the hell are, uh, WRC plus is. And he's like, uh, who knows? I don't know what the hell it is. I'm just trying to pick guys out. Um, so it's too bad because the, the, I think everybody has a, a taste for how much detail they want to go into in a baseball game. And what's really cool is now there's as much as you want. We haven't even seen anything yet. I you see the post today about the stuff they're going to add with base running and they've added mm-hmm. catcher framing and cut, you know, catcher pop time, just all the stuff that you knew mattered that you couldn't quantify before. It's great for us. Um, how are they going to fold that in for somebody that goes to one game a year or one game every three years or watches it on TV? You know, it's just, it's, it's interesting because it's a moving target and you have millions of targets and it's, it, I don't know how they're going to necessarily do that. It's a, it's a big challenge. Last question from me, Michael. You mentioned to us before we started this interview how much of a fan you were of watching Bryce Miller. And we've really enjoyed watching his three starts. As we're recording, he will have started a fourth time by the time this episode comes out. But it's such a unique arsenal he has. It's fascinating to watch what he does with his fastball and his breaking pitches as well. It He really is – there's just there's not that many pitchers, I would say, directly like him. The people the, – the comp – a light comp of Spencer Strider, which is pretty lofty of the two profiles was, was thrown to him, which I think is, is great. And which makes people much more optimistic. But when you watch him, I mean, what, what really stands out from just analyzing his game and, and what he does to, to manipulate the baseball. Yeah. I, I mean, I think fetish is not a really a word I like to use in uh, general circles, especially baseball. But if I have a baseball fetish, one of them is definitely low drop on your fastball. 
uh, including gravity. You know, people, some, some people look at the, you know, how much am I influencing it to rise, but let's just look at it. Let's keep it real. I mean, the, the ball is leaving the guy's hand and it's dropping. That's the number we, we look at more often. And in his very first start, I mean, I have it up because I've heard, you know, I've seen what he's done in the minors. I have no reason to think he's not going to keep doing it, but you know, boom, eight inches, boom, seven inches, nine inches, six inches. Like, Oh my God, that's elite. And it's to the point where a batter can know, and they do, if you don't know Bryce Miller is going to throw you 50 or 60 fastballs today, you're, you're not doing any homework whatsoever. They know they're coming. That it's so good. It's, it's so hard to wire your brain to do what you need to do to hit that baseball that you can't hit that baseball. And you can see, I mean, you see what's happening. I mean, they're going to hit it sometimes. They hit strider sometimes. It's not, it's not really a bad comp. It sounds crazy because I, I mean, Strider's amazing, but, but that, the, oh my God, this fastball is just insane. And, uh, that just buys you a ticket everywhere because like, what do you have to do as a hitter to hit that? What would, if he threw a hundred percent fastballs, you'd have your hands full, but he's not going to. So now what? I mean, you, you have to give, you have to devote so much of your energy to doing what you have to do to hit that fastball. What are you going to do when he doesn't throw you a fastball? And now you're screwed because, because you can't, you just can't do it. And that's what you're seeing when you add up the numbers that when he's done and you're like, damn, that was really dominant. This is not lucky. I'm not saying he's going to have exactly that average stat line forever, but it's, he's going to, if he's healthy, man, he's going to be good. He's going to be really good. And if there's anything, it's the, fa- I mean, it's the fastball. It's funny. Uh, TJ knows this story, but just a little quick thing here. Both of us spent a couple of years broadcasting games in the Cape Cod League when we were in college. And the first, oh, okay. yeah, the first opposing arm I ever saw was some Clemson righty named Spencer Strider. And he went like three and two thirds innings, gave up two or three runs. And I thought basically nothing of him. Then a few years later, and he has this sensational rookie year for the Braves. I'm like, oh, that's Spencer Strider? Like the guy mm-hmm. I saw pitch in the Cape League? I was like, like what a drastic change in four years. I mean, it was just a crazy whirlwind and obviously he was so much different back then, but I always think it's crazy to see that come full circle, but just a little quick tidbit was, uh, right. was that. No, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's talked about a lot and it's sexy now, but it, I, I think we still sell it short. How much that even just that extra inch or two of drop minimization, call it rise mm-hmm. uh, matters. When Liam Hendricks saw me from Japan, when he wanted to start, and he was looking for confidence, but he was also like, how do I retool what I'm doing? Because I'm chucking the ball and cussing like the Tasmanian devil. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And we looked at that and uh, I think you could know, I mean, how elite his fastball is. It's not just the speed, but I mean, 10 inch, 10 inch average drop. Um, and, you know, he's, he's trying to come back now. He's been in the minors rehabbing and. You know, the velocities, the one game was now 94, 95, and he wasn't really happy with it, but we were keen on that. That what's, is it, how much is it dropping? He's dropping 11 inches. Like you're, you're pretty close to being there. You're into to where like, let's just make sure it's going where you want it to go. And, um, but I mean, a bat, you know, you have to swing a bat a certain way within a certain area and the, nobody's swinging a bat that's three inches wide. That's illegal. So, I mean, what does it mean? What does it mean to add three inches of rise to your fastball? Right. It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. And you just, you can't, I mean, I, you know, thank God I haven't had to hit these guys, but you can't wire your brain to do what you need to do. You have, so, you see some batter saying, I'm just going to swing. I know he's trying to throw it high. 
and I know it rises. You're seeing some batters just go, screw it. I'm all in on a swing. You've seen some swing and strikes and some contact that are like a foot above the zone that you never used to see. Those are guys selling out. There's no way they're reading whether it's a strike or not going. They're selling out, saying, I'm going to swing at this pitch. I'm going to hobby bias this thing. And sometimes that's your best bet. Right. Is the... Is the is the fastball itself the reason pitching today is better than it ever has been? Oh boy, I I I think so. I mean, you think just when I helped Dan, I mean, how the the, the sexy pitch was the sinker or two seamer. Oh, it's so sexy. It's like, okay, that's great, but I mean, where are the stats to back that up? Well, it's sexy because it goes faster. It's like yeah, but your slugging on on a sinker is worse than just your your. Or seamer, what? What's the point? Well, you could throw it two miles an hour faster. Like it, that wasn't that long ago, and now there's an appreciation of how much it matters to get rise in your fastball. Um, you are starting to see. It's fascinating because back, you know, back then, if you threw 96, like it doesn't necessarily even matter. 96, 97 doesn't really matter the shape because you throw 96, 97. These guys don't see it that much back then, and now it's like that's kind of an average, slightly above average fastball, and these guys are prepping for that. Now you're starting to see, and we can talk about Tommy Malone. Hey, Tommy, throw me your fastball. He throws it like, no, throw me your fastball. Like, yeah, that was my fastball. <laughs> you know, I mean, it screws your timing up. Right. These guys don't go into the, the cages like, throw me 88, you know, like not a fastball anyway. Throw me something with some tail or whatever and pretend it's a changer, but not a fastball. So um, the, the norm is shifting the way guys prepare for that is shifting. That's another challenge I have with my maps is watching how the game evolves and trying to stay ahead of that too. Cause you can only, you can only change things so much. And like, sometimes it's like, don't keep chasing your tail to throw harder. Cause that's not going to buy you anything. Last question I have for you, Michael is mm-hmm. to get one more Mariners question. in. if you go on your Twitter bio, you'll see that one of the guys you have worked with is Paul Seawald, who has totally resurrected his career has had, now, three consecutive really good seasons in a row, which you almost never see from relievers these days. And the way he's changed his pitch sequencing and philosophy is pretty incredible because now he's all about throwing high fastballs and a lot of sliders, which he wasn't doing back with the Mets. So from what you've seen of him, how is how incredible is it that he's been able to turn his career around like this? It's incredible. Um, we worked a lot closer back in that transition from the Mets to, to the Mariners, and we uh, tried to get an understanding of uh, what are you working with? He's like, I'm, right now it's sinker slider. He called it a sinker day. Uh, and I just have to figure out, like, how do I mix it and how which guy's good against which pitch versus the other and how do you know. Um, but there were, just like with every guy, there were some surprises. Like, well, you know. I don't need to worry about this thing running so much. I actually don't want it to run that much. I'm okay with kind of attacking a guy up and away with this thing. It's really hard to hit. And I think, I mean, he's done a lot to you know, improve his career. Um, but one thing was definitely, I, I, can, I can attest that it, just understanding how his stuff played and not just how, well, you know, there's six guys on my team, so sinkers and the team's telling us all the same thing. They're like, yeah, that's, it's not the same answer for all of you. Uh, your answer is this to these guys. Um, and you know, it, he, he just, it doesn't, it doesn't take much with some guys. And, um, if you go back and look at 2018 and 2019, not only are the numbers not as good, but he's not screaming and yelling and spitting like he does now either. I mean, it, 
confidence is such a big thing. And he definitely bought some confidence with some of the stuff that he learned from us. Or, hey, this is, I mean, I'm fighting for my life right now, but you're telling me that this stuff plays against the best guys right here if I can execute it. And that's, you know, you hope that's true, but to have some guy telling you that that told, like, Trine in that and Sean Doolittle and whoever the heck else I was starting to work with then, you know, okay, maybe it's true. I mean, who just, who, who kind of turned into an animal? He's, he's amazing. But I love Paul Siegel. I mean, love him. So do we. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got nothing bad to say about him. He is Michael Fisher. You can find him on Twitter at Codify Baseball. Tweets out a bunch of great stats, does some great works from many arms and I believe also some catchers and, and such around Major League Baseball, helping really just understand all these numbers that we have available to us. Now, Michael, we appreciate you taking some time to join us today. We learned a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. Great interview with Michael Fisher of Codify. We appreciate all of his time. And like we said, we certainly learned a lot. All right, TJ, let's head down on the farm. So who are you looking at this week? It's going to be a first. We continue to do first. I'm going to highlight Robbie T- uh, Tenerowitz. He's got an interesting last name. Me as the uh, noted, as you would know, Lyle, a pronunciation savant, I would say. So I'm kind of proud of myself that I managed to to nail that one. But he's he's not a top 30 prospect. They got him from the Reds last season, former 27th round pick of by Tampa Bay in the 2016 draft out of Cal. And infielder, he is lining up AA this year. 302, 426, 547, been remarkably consistent. Eight home runs, 34 RBIs. In his seventh minor league season, hey, there's still a chance at the big leagues for him. And what did you say he's called? The Bird? So he was in the Reds organization previously, and apparently the nickname people gave him was Bird. So I think that's what people call him, you know, pretty casually. I'm sure he's called Robbie sometimes, but some people do call him Bird. Well, Bird is flying through double A right now. He is hitting he's hitting pretty well. I it's not a, not a, out of the question he could see Tacoma this year. If, they feel like they need an infield bat up there. I would like to say if you pulled up your baseball savant page, your name pronunciation category, I'd put it 15th percentile. So it's it's blue. It's not quite Jesse Winker's defense. It's not like bright blue, but it's blue. But it's not good. Right it's up a- there, right next to my right next to my spelling as well. Yeah, Which exactly. Is, I think in this, it, think has a big fat zero next to it. <laughs> yeah, zero those, in the darkest shade of blue you could possibly get. Those two categories are right next to each other on Baseball Savant, and 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 the bubbles they're not too far off. But there are some good bats down in Double A that have been hitting. We've talked about Spencer Packard. We've now talked about Bird. We've talked about a couple other guys too. Yeah, Double A has some bats that you can kind of, I won't say dream on, but. Keep some tabs on because I know a lot of guys in AAA are hitting right now. I know AA is mostly focused on the arms, but there's some good bats down in Arkansas. One of them has been Bird because he's been hitting really well. So uh, this past weekend, I was out in Arkansas. Or no, I was not out in Arkansas this past weekend. Really? That'd be a long, how, that'd how be a long the, flight. How was a trip down south? Yeah, you know, I had to fly into where would you even fly into? What's Little a Rock? big hub of? Yeah, what's that? Little Rock. Can you even fly into Little Rock from Seattle? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I, 
I feel like you might have to drive to New Orleans or fly to New Orleans and make the drive. Jeez, we're all over the place with this segment. Anyway, I did not go all the way to Arkansas this past weekend. I went to Everett. That's about a 30-minute drive. It was great. One of the guys I got to see this weekend was Alberto Rodriguez, and that's who I'm going to highlight this week because we have not talked about this guy. But he is a guy that, yeah, keep an eye out for him because this past week he was 7 for 27. I know that doesn't come out to a high batting average, but he had four extra base hits along with hitting about 260 for the week. He had two doubles, one triple, and one home run. The home run I saw live, and it was absolutely demolished out to right center. This guy, in case you haven't been paying attention, for the year, he is hitting just under 300. His OPS is .01 shy of 900, so it's at 899. He is WRC plusing 139 with the Aqua Sox, so he's been 39% above league average as a hitter. And he's been killing it. Like the, like the Aqua Sox are another team that have some real bats. And keep in mind, this is a guy the Mariners got in exchange for giving the Blue Jays six starts of Taiwan Walker back in 2020, which resulted in the Blue Jays getting the eight seed in that 2020 playoff bracket, losing in two games to the Rays, who went on to win the American League. And Taiwan Walker did not sniff the mound during that postseason. So in return, the Mariners got a guy who's in his low 20s with a lot of potential, and he's off to a great start. Yeah, he's he wasn't the Rodriguez we were highlighting the past couple of years in the minor league system, but there's definitely, again, tools there. And again, you didn't really lose anything to uh, to gain him. So that's kind of one of those wild cards you focus on. And hey, I know he's already been on the, I think he's already been on the 40-man roster, hasn't he? Yeah. He has. So there is reason to protect. So it, it, it makes sense why the, why the Mariners would do that. Was that, I'm trying to remember the dimensions of Funko Field. That home run out to right center was—is it a short porch out there? Oh, it's short. I mean, yeah. Everett, Everett's a bam box of a ballpark, so it is short. That being said, it wasn't a wall scraper of a home run. He absolutely crushed it, and he was also demolishing baseballs way out of the yard in batting practice that day too. Like he puts on a show during BP, and then he got one there in the first inning of that game. So yeah, he's got real power. He's only got two home runs so far this year, but there's power in there. And look. Most prospects are lottery tickets. The Mariners took a lottery ticket in exchange for Taiwan Walker in a 2020 season where they didn't have a ton of playoff aspirations, and we'll see what he pans out to. But but the ceiling there is something to be excited about. And I think it has worked out pretty well. Okay, well, let's zoom out and let's get to our MLB wraparound. Up first on the MLB wraparound, uh, I think this is kind of a notable subject because the discourse of spending always hangs over our heads and we question, well, things every day. We look at a team that did really spend this offseason while uh, the Padres won last night, uh, sitting here recording on a Monday. They did win last night to improve to 21-26 and on the season with one of the worst offenses in baseball. It's kind of puzzling that a team with Juan Soto, Xander Bogarts, and Manny Machado could possibly be this bad offensively, but they have been. Should I add Fernando Tatis Jr. into that equation as well? Yeah, outfielder Fernando Tatis Jr. The San Diego Padres are currently 24th in team OPS, 26th in runs scored. They are last in total team hits. 
Listen, I know a lot of people in Mariners land are panicking right now. They're sweating. They don't like that the offense has been scuffling. But let's not only keep in mind that the Mariners are still floating right above, right around the 500 mark, but they were also way under 500 last year. But to put it in perspective, here's a Padres team that had expectations probably even loftier than the Mariners, and they're just not cutting it right now. Here's some notable guys that are scuffling. One guy who's not is Juan Soto. The last two weeks, he's been unbelievable. He's been tearing the the cover off the baseball and finally kind of looks like the Washington Nationals version of Juan Soto. Oh, and by the way, he's only still just 24 years old. Outside of that, Xander Bogarts had a great first two weeks of the season. Since that, he is rocking an 81 WRC plus the last month of the season. Manny Machado, he has a hairline fracture in his third metacarpal, which is right in about the middle of your hand underneath your middle finger. And he has resulted in an 81 WRC plus for the entire season. His batted ball data stinks, uh, and he's been trending down, especially in May, a 73 WRC plus in that month. Manny near MVP last year, a big reason the Padres were able to go all the way to the NLCS. He's been a ghost of himself this year. Thankfully, Fernando, on his return, has done exactly what he was doing when he was healthy before he got hurt last time, which is be an unbelievable talent on the field. This time, I guess, added with a few more accusations his way and a a few more clouds over his head. But him and Sodor hitting the rest of the Padres team, though, it has been a struggle. There's other guys you can throw into this equation too. Jake Cronenworth, the guy they really rely on in that offense, below league average as a bat so far. Hassan Kim, below league average. You just highlighted about Xander Bogarts. The last few weeks have been really, really brutal. For the year, his WRC plus is 117, so 17% above league average. It's fine as a whole. That's not what you paid $280 million for to be fine or slightly above league average. They've got things to figure out. The Mariners' offense needs to get going, yes. They are not the only ones with problems at the plate right now. And here's some glaring numbers here from San Diego. You mentioned overall for the season, in runners with runners in scoring position, their 196 batting average with runners in scoring possession, dead last in the majors. WRC plus and on-base percentage, which is 73 and 293 respectively, are second to last, and their slugging percentage with runners in scoring position, 333, is third to last. I mean, those numbers should not exist with a team with this much offensive talent on it, and yet it is. It just goes to show, I'll say it at this point of the season here in mid to late May, things may change, but it doesn't, but spending like a madman does not always guarantee success. We're seeing it right now with the Padres. The Mets are starting to get the gears going, but they've had issues too through the first couple of months. So yeah, it's been a tough stretch for the Padres. And you just mentioned the runners and scoring position numbers there. Again, another thing people always talk about with the Mariners, they seem to really struggle with the bases loaded with guys in scoring position. Well, the Padres are doing it worse than them. So Again, the Mariners are not alone. It's frustrating, but they're not alone. Their pitching staff has been, I guess, fine. I mean, it's it hasn't been great. It's 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 been up and down, I would guess to say the least. So, it, I'd say it's mostly the offense dragging it back, but you see the difference of having a very a, a near bottom of the barrel offense to pair with a up and down pitching staff and you see five games under 500 versus a team with a top 3 pitching staff in baseball and a 
bottom of the barrel offense as of right now. So that, I mean, that's probably the difference. I would agree. And we'll see how the Padres fare going forward. You would think it's going to improve, but we're going to have to watch because there are teams every year that seem to go below expectations and don't live up to the hype. So we'll have to see how it goes. Storyline number two here, easily the dumbest storyline I have seen all season. Aaron Judge just recently was accused of cheating. He was done so on air with the mics on by the Toronto Blue Jays broadcast team because he was caught kind of glaring over with peripheral vision, kind of out of the corner of his eyes, back toward the first base dugout, back during that Yankees-Blue Jays series in Toronto. And all these cheating allegations came out about Judge with absolutely no facts behind it, no cold hard facts, just speculation, and then it led to nothing. I don't even know how you cheat in that situation. What could Judge see? that nobody else on the field, especially from the Blue Jays dugout, who can look right into the Yankee dugout, like what would they see? How how would that be possible? I don't know. My answer to that is I don't know because you're right. And he, and he barely, it's not like he was a full head turn staring at something in the dugout. He took a little glance. Anybody with the Blue Jays could have glanced over at their dugout. Any of the umpires could have glanced over at their dugout. I don't know what he could have been looking at that was so groundbreaking. If people are worried about sign stealing, well, I've got news for you. Pitchcom now exists. And if you're a pitcher and you're using Pitchcom and your signs are still getting stolen, that's on you. Nobody should be stealing your signs with the use of Pitchcom. There is nothing the judge did wrong. There was no even evidence to accuse him of cheating. Yet somehow the Blue Jays broadcast team and and people and some of the Blue Jays coaches seem to be very adamant that he was. Oh, and then the Blue Jays reliever, Jay Jackson, came out and said he was tipping his pitches. Like, it's as simple as that. (laughs) A a hitter as good as Aaron Judge is obviously good. If you're tipping your slider to throw it right down the middle, Aaron Judge is going to be like, oh, yeah, he's throwing me a slider right down the middle, and I'm going to hit it 460 feet to dead center field. Like, yeah, he's going to, he's going to, it's going to look like he's cheating because you're telling him what's coming. You know what that home run did? It knocked off some of the sculpting of that maple leaf in center field at the Rogers Center. It straight up broke a piece of that maple leaf. That's how hard he hit that home run. So yeah, how does Aaron Judge respond to cheating accusations? By hitting four home runs in a three-game series against the Blue Jays. The Yankees took care of Toronto. And Aaron Judge played like one of the best players in baseball, like he is. So, you know what? It goes to show. What do they say? Talk shit, get hit? That is literally what happened. The Blue Jays talked some shit, and Aaron Judge absolutely took advantage of Blue Jays pitching and demolished them all series. What was funny is the petty war that came after where John Schneider started bitching and complaining about where the Yankees base coaches were standing, that they were not standing in the coach's box on the first and third base side, when nobody nobody cares about that, like nobody does. But because of this, the Blue Jays decided to you know point tell the umpires, hey, look, look what they're doing. They're standing outside the coach's box. The Just some of the stupidest stuff ever. Oh, if we want to talk about cheating, Lyle, there were Yankees that got flagged for cheating last week. Domingo Herman got busted and suspended 10 games for having his hand coated with sticky stuff. By the way, not the first time this season that he's had that. The first time the Elms just had him go wash his hands. Stupidest explanation ever. But this time, I mean, he's got gunk on his hand. 
How are the Yankees so bad at hiding this stuff with their pitchers? You remember a few years ago when Michael Pineda had pine tar all over his body, his arm, his jersey, everywhere? They go out and take a look at him and they're like, yeah, you're gone. I mean, that was the easiest find we've ever had to make if you were an umpire. I don't know how the Yankees are so bad at hiding that stuff with their pitchers. But yeah, there's an actual cheating scandal, not what Aaron Judge was doing. Again, this was this was the dumbest story. Yeah, not even close. And Judge, he handled it very professionally. He didn't. I don't think he threw anyone under under the rug. He said he would have some choice words for, especially the Blue Jays broadcast, but did not uh, did not air them publicly. Which, you know, not like first take would pick it up anyways. But we would. So <laughs> unfortunate. Okay, our third storyline of the week, Lyle. Uh, I guess a sour note for us. Jose Altuve's back. He is back. He's only played a handful of games so far, but he got hit on the hand during the World Baseball Classic, broke his thumb, missed a couple of months. Now he's back. And oh, by the way, in very unsurprising fashion, the Astros have figured it out because they've now won seven in a row. They've won nine of their last 10. They sit at 27 and 19, and they're just two games back of the Rangers in the AL West. This is what's such an eye roller for the Mariners is they had their chance to make some real ground while the Astros were playing 500 baseball. Altuve was out. Luis Garcia, unfortunately, goes down with Tommy John surgery. Their offense was not clicking. And now they get Altuve back. Now they're figuring it all out. And it kind of seems like the Astros are back. And the thing is, their offense hasn't even like picked it up all that much overall. If you look at it on sort of a season-long basis, they have... By OPS Plus, they have three hitters who are above average. Jordan Alvarez, who's at 159 uh, OPS Plus, so 59% better than league average. Kyle Tucker's at 127. And then Jake Myers is at 103. There's nobody else in their lineup who's above 100, right? And still, they've managed to reel off and get back to within distance of the Rangers. And by the way, they probably have a more complete roster than the Rangers, too. So we talk about, hey, where are the Rangers' flaws at? Oh, it's in the bullpen. Houston's got a pretty damn good bullpen. So if we're trying to find poke like a weakness at the Texas Rangers and why the Astros would pass them, it's because of that. And now they've, you know, they've got their all-star second baseman back, who, by the way, is coming off arguably the best hitting season of his career without percussionists being involved, right? <laughs> so um this it, this was a missed opportunity for the Mariners to to make up that ground with the with Jose Altuve being out. Jose Altuve has been one of the best hitters in baseball for the last decade, and now if you look at that lineup, it's kind of back to where it was last year, where you've got Altuve leading off. You have Jeremy Pena too, who yes, he struggled so far, but now if you're going to sandwich him back between Altuve and Jordan Alvarez instead of Mauricio Dubon and Jordan Alvarez, it's probably going to start to see some more pitches. And you got Jordan, and you got Bregman, then you got Kyle Tucker. We'll see what happens with Jose Abreu. They still have to get Michael Brantley back. Again, the Mariners had their chances with this, but I think the Astros are about to kind of figure it all out and start sailing here because getting Altuve back, that's that's the key. They hadn't been getting much from their second baseman uh, anyways. So Their second baseman this year have been, essentially been league average bats and you know Jose Altuve last year with the 159 OPS plus, unfortunately. The Astros have been waiting for it. I'm sure their philosophy was just tread water until Altuve gets back and then let's hit the ground running. And they seem to have hit the ground running even a little bit before they got him back. But now that he is back and fully healthy, I think this points up for Houston. So 
That's your MLB wraparound. A couple of interesting storylines this past week or so. Let's get to always our favorite segment, a Russell Wilson umpire of the week. You want to bring this one in? Congratulations to Eric Backus. Is that how you pronounce his name? You know, usually I'd give you a hard time about your pronunciations, but that was my best guess too. So let's just say yes. Wow. 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 <laughs> wow. Okay. That's That's got to be a first coming out of your mouth. Okay. I know. I'm, he, I'm usually good at this. Yeah. Uh, he was behind the plate for this past Saturday's Cubs-Phillies game. This was not a full game occurrence, Lyle. This was an occurrence where Cody Clemens, an outfielder, uh, was in to pitch in a, blow, uh, in a blowout. It was 12-3. He's facing Nick Madrigal, and he just lobs this 48-mile-per-hour cookie about six inches off the outside corner, and it gets called a strike. And there's just wonderful clip of Book Scambi, who's in the booth, who just clearly says, and that clips the corner, even though it was, you know, six inches off the corner. Made the rounds on Twitter. Uh, it was pretty, it was, to be honest, the reason we're going to highlight that here today mostly is because it was funny. And I got to give credit to the umpire for just wanting to get out of there and get the game over with. Dude, that pitch was thrown at 48 miles an hour. <laughs> It was so it was clocked as an EFIS, even though Cody Clemens, who by the way, Roger Clemens' son, but not much of a pitching background, was just lobbing baseballs in. He is lobbing them in. This ball must have missed six inches off the plate, and somehow this is called a strike. Look, we sit here and give umpires a hard time a lot of weeks because they miss a lot of strike calls, their scorecard can be bad, they eject players too fast. But we legitimately could have sat back there and called that pitch a ball. These balls are being lobbed in by Cody Clemens, and they missed six inches about off the plate. If I'm exaggerating with that, it was it was a few inches off, and somehow it's called a strike. I think the best explanation is what you said, that he was just trying to get the game over with and get out of there knowing it was a blowout. I, that's my best assumption. Either that or he had, he had a dinner reservation, a late dinner. I mean, that might be, although I feel like that'd be a very late dinner reservation. Some people get hungry. Hey, there's some good places in Philly. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want a cheesesteak? I don't know. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. I'd go for a cheesesteak. Oh, when you missed you missed it when we were all on I the know. East Coast last summer, our trip with all our friends, and we went to gyms to get Philly cheesesteaks. Oh, they were Which unreal. Is, I think still burnt down technically now. Oh, is is that the one that got caught on fire so i think so unfortunate i need to go to that place though so when they rebuild it i'm gonna whenever i find myself out there on the east coast i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go visit it but congratulations to eric backus our russell wilson umpire of the week and again we don't normally choose it based off of one pitch but since this was just such a perfect clip i thought yeah that deserves it okay let's wrap up the show with speak your mind Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. Mart Lau, what's on your mind this week? I think it's the weather. I mean, maybe some people tab that as a boring conversation, but I am just so thrilled to see the sun and warm weather back. It's funny living in Seattle. TJ and I differ on this a little bit where TJ's like, yeah, I don't mind the rain. Like, it's fine. No, I hate the rain. Like, I've hated it since I was a kid. 
I don't know how I've lived all my life dealing with it, but every summer around here, when it finally gets to be sunshine season, rain seems to pass. We get a lot of warm days. Oh, it's just so much easier to be in a better mood too. So like, that's kind of how I feel with the sun out. I was like, thank goodness. It seems to be summer weather. You'd make great customer service small talk with how much you like talking about the weather. I know. I know. I I mean, it's true. And and sometimes if you don't know a person and, and you just have to fill some, some time, right? We've all been there where you're trying to fill a conversation with something. Oh, nice weather. At least it's sunny out today. Or, you know, maybe you say, well, it's too bad it's raining today. I mean, why do you think I went to school in Arizona? Obviously, first and foremost, because the journalism school was great at ASU, but it's sunny all the time. Yeah. You, know, you get out of the rain. I mean, I, that, I mean, if you if you think that wasn't high on my list of priorities when applying to colleges past what like the actual program I was going to be in was, you'd be mistaken. It's not that I don't mind the rain. You just, I guess you just get used to it after a while. I don't know. I guess that's just like a way to think about it. I think it's just the lack of, I would say, light during the winter is, I think, a bigger deterioration than the actual rain itself. I think for me, I still have bad memories of how many baseball games would be canceled when I was a kid due to rain. And that's probably the biggest reason I hate it is it just drove me nuts, always wanting to play and then games getting canceled. Like you look forward to it all day. Me like hating school my whole life. I would sit there, wait for the day to get over, be like, oh, it's okay. It's going to be a good day because I get to play a baseball game today. And then you get home and you get an alert. Oh, game's canceled. And I would be furious. I would just be pissed off the rest of the afternoon and evening. Boy, they built a roof over it. Oh, don't get us started on that. Oh, you want to start building roofs on little league fields? Man, we have got it in the city budget. I was going to say, we might have to start doing a lot of lemonade stands to make that happen. Doesn't mean that roofs shouldn't be built on big league stadiums, though. They should all have them. <clears throat> they should all have them. See, if if my brother and my friend John are listening to this, and my brother at least probably is, they're going to roll their eyes when they hear this conversation because they try to blow it back in my face every time we get on the conversation about roofs. And I say every stadium should have one. And they're like, where's this money coming from? Like, the owners are never going to pay for it. And I'm saying, well... Okay. Where is this money coming from? These what? owners, like I, I was going to say, you and I see eye to eye on this. Like these owners have so much money and they refuse to build roofs on these stadiums. Okay, let's do some quick and dirty math. Uh, how much did the Mets just sell for when they when Steve Cohen bought them? Do you remember off the top of your head? No, but it was over a billion dollars. Over a billion. I think it might have been four. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So way more than that. Okay. Let's just put an example of how much that is worth. Me and you have both yet to live for a billion seconds in our lives. Think about that. Yeah. You want to know where the money's going to come from. We have not lived for a billion seconds. And we're worried about where the money's going to come from to build a roof. Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Like, Where's the money going to come from? It snows in Colorado and Minnesota in April. And when those stadiums got built, they were like, no, no roof. But yeah, this is this is a conversation just totally deteriorating from the fact that I'm happy that it's sunny in Seattle again. And while I wasn't here last summer, I did hear that it took forever in the Pacific Northwest to get hot last year. It took till about July. So the yeah. fact it's warming up in May, like, give me all of it. I'll I'll take it every day of the week. Uh, I'm going to turn my speaker mind around to you, Lyle. What's up with the the NBA script? I mean, it is completely opposite of what I think everybody in the NBA offices envisioned. What are we, what are we doing here? 
It is at the time of recording. It is Nuggets are up three nothing, and Heat are up three nothing. I believe if we're going the way we're going, both series will be over by the time this episode is released on Wednesday. So, what's going on here, dog? I know you've turned this on me a couple of times now to say what in the world is the NBA doing with their script this year? Maybe they wanted to kind of get people's hopes up to think it was going to be Lakers Celtics, but then they were like, oh, well, we can't make it that obvious. We can't just make it a Lakers Celtics final. Just when we get everybody's hopes up, oh, now we're going to totally spin a 180 in the other direction. And now we're going to have Heat and Nuggets in the finals, which at least for the Heat, nobody expected. So maybe they're trying to keep people on their toes because they can't make it blatantly obvious every year. Maybe maybe they've got some extra money in the bank this year where they feel like they don't need a big market team in the finals. That that would be my guess. Or they feed into the storyline where it's like, wouldn't it be amazing if we had two teams come down from 3-0 in the conference finals, which has never been done before, and it just so happens it's the Lakers and the Celtics meeting in the finals? If that happened... Oh, then then the script then, is on. Then the then the card for Patrick Ewing is frozen shut. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Man, if that happened, let's circle back on the next Speak Your Mind and really dive into that. But yeah, that that's my guess. Maybe they've got some money allocated this year and, and some extra money to spare, and they said, Hey, we can flip the script around this year. You know, maybe you know, I might have an explanation for this. I think the NBA script writers we're taking some time off from the playoffs, and they instead went to the draft and said, instead noticing San Antonio with a a generational international big sitting there at number one. Like, huh, what has worked out so well before? Oh, the Spurs getting a the Spurs getting a generational French prospect. I mean, not even just a French prospect, but the forwards or centers. It worked out with the Admiral and David Robinson. Then it worked with Tim Duncan and it's probably going to work with Victor Wembanyama. So, I mean, Hey, if you're the NBA and you say, we've got this generational talent, do we want to send them to Detroit? Do we want to send them to Charlotte or do we want to send them to Greg, Greg Popovich in San Antonio? That's our little way of putting him in a market where he's going to succeed, but also not making it blatantly obvious and putting him in one of the huge markets. I know where they want to send him. Hey, Victor, don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? <laughs> Dude, we would have had to get a side talk video on the spot if the Knicks had ended up with the number one pick on the spot. The one the one they did this year after uh, one of their playoff wins was as absurd as the other ones have been, and it was hilarious. Some of my favorite clips on the internet ever. If you If you need something funny, please just... Go look up Side Talk New York on YouTube and just just click. And not even Side Talk New York. Look up Side Talk New York Knicks. There are now three videos that really stand out among all of them, and they are absolutely ridiculous. They are ridiculous. Okay, with that, I think that wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google and Amazon. We've got the full video podcast on YouTube. Be sure to go check us out on YouTube. Rate, review, subscribe. Help us beat the algorithm, guys. Just, you know, go to go do all those things on all those platforms. It helps us out a bunch. And with that, like I said, go check out all our social media stuff too and send us voicemails. Send us voicemails. We want to hear your thoughts. We'll play them on the show if you do. So for TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.